Hello, and welcome to RD and the Inbetweens. I'm your host, Kelly Priest, and every fortnight I talk to a different guest about researchers, development, and everything in between. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of RD and the Inbetweens. It's Kelly Priest here and today I'm delighted to be bringing you an episode about non-traditional research. So approaching research and research methodologies in non-traditional ways, the benefits, the challenges. So I'm delighted to welcome Lizzie Hobson, who is the PGR in Geography. Lizzie, are you happy to introduce yourself? I'm Lizzie, Lizzie Hobson from the Geography Department here at Exeter. Uh, I'm a PhD student in the final kind of throes and stages now. So I'm spending most of my time writing up. So I guess now I would call myself a cultural geographer. Um, so that means I'm mostly interested in the development of landscape theory and geography and uh, perhaps more broadly about geographies of writing kind of effectivity and performance. Brilliant, thank you. So the what we're gonna talk about today is <laughs> quite unquite doing non-traditional research um so to kind of unpack that a little can you talk about how how your research breaks the kind of traditional mold of what we expect research to look like at doctoral level so uh a lot of my work is very uh methods based rather than um so i kind of engage with theory um in a more of a framing statement kind of way and think about how we can think about ideas kind of differently when we experiment with styles of writing and modes of presentation. Um, I guess in the, um, the simplest sense, my project is about therapeutic landscapes and encounters. To think about the therapeutic as kind of residing more in the encounters between bodies and landscapes and in embodied practices. Um, the problem with some of this research um, is that it puts forward this kind of and this is me speaking in a, in a general sense, an argument that's led to what we can call the medicalization of landscape and nature. I try and open up what we might judge as having kind of restorative or recuperative qualities and what recovery might mean. Um, and I'm particularly interested in how creative practices might open up some of these spaces and address some of these questions in more open-ended ways. I guess it's probably quite useful to go through an example um, of my work. Um, so for part of my project, it's kind of laid out into three. Um, I got a really good opportunity to go to Ithaca, which is a small island um, and part of Greece. Um, it's not a traditional health pilgrimage site in the way Lords might be, but it is kind of a health landscape of sorts. Um, but it's kind of ties with these ideas of the therapeutic come from kind of it's Greek mythology. Um, so I didn't do Latin or Greek in school. So I was kind of really unfamiliar with these ideas before I got to Ithaca. But Ithaca is supposedly the home of Odysseus, who is kind of thought to have spent this 10 years mega journey battling sea monsters and going through all kinds of mental torment just to kind of return to his beloved homeland Ithaca. And um, because of this, and with the help of the poet C.P. Caffrey, who wrote this famous 
poem Ithaca, um, for many Ithaca has come to symbolize this kind of legendary journey that every person makes through life as they look for their own kind of personal Ithaca. And it's become this metaphor for a kind of supreme goal, this kind of sweet homeland where you'll find your kind of internal calmness and satisfaction. Um, when I was in Ithaca, I was lucky enough to spend some time with an archeologist who took me to Homer's palace, uh, uh, Homer's palace, um, Homer's school, which is also thought to be the ruins of Odysseus's palace. Um, and the thing is, when you go there, you expect this kind of super grand place, like ticketed off kind of all official, like English heritage or National Trust, what you see with them. But when I got there, it was kind of none of that. And I was really super glad to have my guide because I wouldn't have known what I was looking at. Um, there's basically one kind of placket saying you'll enter the site at your own risk as it wasn't stable, um, but nothing telling you what you were looking at. So I kind of started thinking about these kind of grand myths and legends and standing amongst this place that was kind of full of rubble. Um, and I, I started experimenting with knitting as a practice. Um, I don't know if you know those kind of old school geography diagrams where you get those different layers. So like sedimentary layer, and then you've got the granite layer that's a bit harder and sits on top and lasts a bit longer. And I think it's probably actually the other way around. Um, but I was thinking about knitting a bit like that. So knitting as kind of a way to bring the landscape's kind of absences and presences and gaps into life. So when I was there, I was kind of interested in the materiality of the place that was kind of caught up in this very real process of erosion. Um, lack of funds have kind of stopped any kind of archaeological uh, work um, and nothing was kind of roped off in the way Stonehenge was. Um, when I was talking to my friend and my participant before I went out on this um, this trip with the archaeologist and um, her partner actually knew the site I mentioned because he, he was like oh yeah I've been there I do rock climbing and kind of parkour there as a, a substitute because there's no gyms you know it's outside a site for outdoor exercise for him um, which are kind of real madness when you think about heritage site regulations kind of here in the UK um, and yeah, I also got to spend a lot of time looking at Ithaca's museum collection, some of the artifacts that were kind of rumored to be linked to as like evidence that this was Odysseus's home, home place. So um, yeah, we looked at these um, fragments of kind of urns and tripods and that were meant to be gifts to Odysseus um, and kind of spoke to this magical place, but they also kind of opened up the space to talk about anticipating loss and curated decay and kind of heritage that's potentially beyond saving. So um, kind of through the process of knitting and forming and reforming the landscape, Ithaca kind of became for me, not just about this, this magical tale, but about visible mending, decision-making in uncertain times and ideas about unbuilding in the process of preservation so I started thinking about Ithaca as a place of mining memories. So that's kind of just one example of my practice. I, I've done uh, different things in, in different places, but. That's completely and utterly fascinating. So, okay, so you've talked about the ways in which 
your kind of research methods are not traditional. Um, how, how do these practices of things like knitting mm. and the way that, if I'm understanding correctly, that knitting is kind of a practice of recreating, exposing those kind of the different layers within these sites, how, how does that form for part of a, of a doctoral thesis? You know, in man, I'm, as we said before we started recording, I'm, I'm very, as, an art, as a kind of ex-artist and um, lecturer in the arts, I am very familiar with this kind of practice, but thinking about the kind of people out there that are doing very traditional research that don't have a clue about how kind of these sorts of practices can be incorporated into a research project or be kind of an outcome of research, how does that work? like I'm sure quite a lot of different disciplines do is that I keep kind of a filled note journal and instead of just classically kind of doing interviews or, or something like that I kind of um I do a bit of that as well but you know and I keep a diary but I also do like lots of sketches and things out out in the landscape and things like that so um like like anyone else I then write it up when I when I get back and I, I make it a lot more kind of padded out and kind of uh, impressive so it goes alongside a text so in the case of the knitting I kind of uh, I, I write a, a conceptual thing about ruins and kind of ruination as like a an essay format and then I also um, present my my knitting alongside that in in and that kind of works in um photograph form I was really interested to hear you describe it as an artist sketchbook yeah I mean it's one of those things isn't it it's like does this do a disservice that's what one of the things my supervisors said and I think no you know like it, it's probably the best way of encapsulating it it's almost um more like a magazine than a, than a traditional um a magazine again it's, it's probably the wrong terminology but um yeah so I have I have the I have a lot of, I link back to the academic literature, but for me, um, I'm not practice-based. Uh, I haven't gone by performance. Um, and it, it, that kind of opens up another huge kind of can of worms around um, what what creative methods are, who uses them, kind of that thing. For me, it's a way of kind of using creative methods as process. It's a way of kind of slowing down what we think we know and um, sitting with kind of, uncomfortable moments as a discipline um I guess if you were going more by performance you obviously have your your final end piece and that looks very different to what I'm kind of talking about as a and non-traditional thesis yeah absolutely and like what what you're talking about and how you're talking about it really the kind of methodology that you're approach you're approaching in that artist sketchbook really it sounds you know, to make a parallel for people who aren't familiar with this kind of thing, it really sounds like kind of how you doc document ethnographic fieldwork. Yes, yes. So, you know, it's it's very similar in its approach, but it's taking more creative forms of documentation and thinking about data in a much, much broader um, way as kind of being beyond, you know, words and numbers which a lot of our kind of data and research tends to be either numerical or linguistic um 
but also thinking about practices of knowledge and understanding that go beyond the numerical and the linguistic so you know I'm thinking as a as a people person with an arts background you know we talked a lot about experiential learning and um what we called embodied knowing so things that you might know through experience or intuition that you can't necessarily put into language so it sounds to me like you're incorporating all of those different forms of knowledge and learning into kind of one really rich set of data yeah no no yeah so it's all about non-representational theory and and uh and, and yeah embodied embodied ways of uh, embodied ways of knowing and and I think that that's that's one of the challenges right of doing this kind of research in an academic environment that even though it's actually not new to approach research in this kind of way it's still I don't want to always say look down on because that's not always the case but it's it's not valued in the same way um sort of across the sector or across all disciplines in higher education um that more traditional research methods and forms of knowledge are. And that's really one of the key, I would imagine one of the key challenges of, of doing research in this way is kind of having to to justify it to the to the wider academy. Is that something that you experience? Yeah, I think I'm I'm really lucky because I work in a little pocket and um so I've got like a lot of kind of like-minded people, which again I guess is why um sometimes it's hard to step out of that and kind of go, oh yeah, it is just like ethnography, you know? Um, uh, but yeah, there's this challenge of kind of publication and how to judge creative work. So yeah, despite the fact that in my own discipline, there's this widespread support for kind of this creative turn within geography and this kind of acceptance or even an understanding of alternative outputs is very varied and I guess by no means universal um yeah exactly and I'm not I find kind of sometimes that articulation of trying to use traditional language like you know talking about all of the different things in your sketchwork as just different forms of data that's mm. you know it still has that you know, you talked about writing the kind of theoretical and unpacking that alongside it. It still has that theoretical basis. It still has that analysis. All of those things that other people are using to create knowledge. Yeah, so whether you're in politics or whether you're in engineering, you know, you're you're still doing, collecting data, interpreting and analysing it. And, and you are very much doing that. You're just doing that in a different way. Yeah, and I think this is, this. I really wish that I could come um, and being able to show you my work right you know because yeah my work is practice based I, you know I, I'm not a, a speaker about it I do it you know and so it, it kind of comes up against these traditional forms a bit in a podcast but a lot about the journal format more you know and how well these places are kind of geared up for creative output so um, I guess one of the issues I've come up against in my thesis um which is probably going to throw a whole nother kind of spanner in the works here. But yeah, so I do a part on Ithaca and I also do a part on aerial silks and circus skills. Um, so I'm interested in video um, and movement, bodily movements in landscape. Um, so I really, my ideal situation would be being able to um, include these videos of performances of 
aerial silks by myself and my participants and um, demonstrating certain kind of silk routines experiences with gravity in the air um, but the traditional kind of word document doesn't really have this capacity so at the moment I'm kind of working with including a load of a load of visual um, like screenshots not screen you know stills from these videos and um, kind of laid out like that old school kind of camera reel but ideally I would be able to actually include video or if someone read a paper they'd be able to see the video instead of having to do the follow this link you know disruption um so I it, you have to it's imperfect and it's an imperfect option so we talked about the challenges let's flip it on its head what are the benefits of approaching a research in this way what are the what are the benefits to the research you know on a kind of theoretical basis but what are for you as a researcher, the benefits and the development opportunities and the joys of doing research in this way? I guess for me, and I guess this is like quite a personal thing, is that uh, it's about doing something that you love. Uh, that sounds so cheesy, so like super cheesy. Uh, and I'm going to get even more cheesy because maybe it's because I'm, I'm getting to the end of my PhD. Uh, my partner's just finished and he's looking for jobs. Um, and at sometimes, yeah, my PhD is a gift, right? I get to spend four years of my life doing something that I enjoy and I want to do. And I'm very lucky that I got to write my own PhD and that I'm funded. So I'm aware that I speak from a bit of a privileged position here. Um, but yeah, I don't think, despite all of the stresses that we've kind of talked about, that I could have done my PhD any other way and kind of felt happy and true to myself and like I was really doing something worthwhile um so yeah I did I'm very aware that sounds very idealistic um I kind of spent the first so I've done creative methods all the way through my um undergrad and, and masters I'm very lucky that I kind of fell on my feet and I exited the real hub for it in geography um when I started uh I was kind of I never really thought I was ever going to kind of go into further education and I, I was really lucky to have some very good mentors who kind of helped push me me that way but when I I thought oh, I don't know I don't know what PhD looks like um so I spent more, probably a bit over a year trying to write a traditional PhD I kind of resorted back to these traditional methodologies like interviews um and things like that and I really hated it um and I honestly think if I hadn't kind of started trusting myself again uh I wouldn't have finished um, and I certainly wouldn't have been happy with it. So yeah, I think, yeah, I think it was just, it was a necessity for, the, for me. So people tend to be really reticent to talk about their research in that kind of enthusiastic, passionate and idealistic way, which is kind of bizarre on a number of levels because you are not going to dedicate however many years of your life you take to do your research degree um, to a project if you're not incredibly passionate about it and, in, and, in, and incredibly invested in it because you couldn't do it, <laughs> you know? So, and, and also what we respond to when people talk about their research is their enthusiasm and their excitement, you know? That's, that's the thing we respond to as human beings. Obviously we respond to the content, but if someone, you know, if someone's talking to you about their research and they sound really bored, you don't pay attention. 
and and it's really lovely to hear you talk about your research in that kind of enthusiastic and passionate way because doing a research degree is hard like not trying to sugarcoat it but there are some things about it that are wonderful and positive and that kind of enthusiasm and passion is one of them so what I like to do to wrap up is ask people to offer some advice based on their experience so basically you know if people are you know looking at doing or have just started doing a research degree that involves these kind of creative methods um what advice would you give them based on your experience what did you wish you knew when you started yeah so I guess from my kind of experience I would say that you probably have to compromise um compromise is probably the wrong word here because uh, if you're going to do something so bold then you need conviction but I guess what I mean by compromise is that if you're going to experiment with styles and kind of modes of presentation then you kind of have an obligation to your reader to help them get where you're going um, so for me I have a framing statement that does a bit of this kind of donkey work it kind of acts a bit like a, a like what I was kind of saying in the beginning like I couldn't have started talking about my methods if I hadn't started situating them somewhere um about within the therapeutic landscapes literature so I love creative writing uh, I that's my kind of niche which I kind of I go from there I always start with creative writing um but for me I had to kind of come to terms with the fact that there's going to be some bits of my thesis that are not so beautifully written um because there are times when I'm going to need to hold my hand um I need to put interludes between between my pieces because you know we jump from Ithaca and then we go to um circus skills right um so yeah compromise in a sense um and I guess I'd also say that there's a need to take real care and I guess first picking your supervisors, but then also picking examiners who kind of see where you're coming from and see the value in your, in your work. Um, I've had some encounters where people have just thought, they're nice pretty pictures, but what are they doing? And that was, ouch, my heart, you know? Um, but I've had others that have really got what I'm trying to do. Um, and had really critical and productive conversations. So I think that's quite important. Thanks so much to Lizzie for taking the time to talk to me about what is an incredibly fascinating project and about the, the real challenges, but also the real benefits of doing quote unquote non-traditional research. If there's something about your project that you're approaching non-traditionally, I'd love to hear from you and to talk to you on the podcast I think it's really important that we share these stories and represent these alternative ways of doing that increasingly aren't that alternative and becoming very mainstream. But it can be scary to be the first one in your department to take that leap. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and join me next time where I'll be talking to somebody else about researchers, development and everything in between. Thank you.